welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. And uh, who knows that we're fully into the spirit and we're fully into the word. We want both and, and so it's totally appropriate before we pray and minister in the power of the Holy Spirit to open God's word and learn from it. And I don't know anyone better than Adam Heather to do that. Adam and Hannah, as you know, lead our evening congregation. Uh, they're part of the leadership of the church. They're just about to come into eldership of the church. They are disciple makers. Uh, they're just passionate followers of Jesus. Adam actually helped to uh, organize wildfire. So how he's had the time to prepare this talk, I don't know. Uh, and I just want to uh, ask if we could welcome him in a particular way, because I'm feeling really challenged about this right now. Jesus said, do you have ears to hear? And so it's often not whether the talk was good, but whether our hearts were open. And I, I think sometimes as British people, we can sit there with arms folded saying, prove yourself to me, and if it's good enough, I'll open my heart to you. And I've just got this feeling that we need to learn to hear God in all things. When we switch on the radio, when we watch a movie, and we talk to a non-Christian friend, so we certainly should be able to hear God. When someone who is godly, like Adam, has spent hours and hours in the word preparing and is going to open and release that undiluted to us. So I'd love us um, just to shrug off cynicism, open our hearts and just recognize that this is a servant of God coming with God's word to speak to us. So could we just stand together, put our hands together and welcome Adam Heather. Thank you. Thanks. Good morning. Good morning. So we're about to launch back into Nehemiah 3. But I'm aware, obviously, since two weeks that we started this, and obviously a week ago even, a lot has happened. So why don't you take two minutes, turn to the person next to you. I'm aware that some people would have been on site last Sunday, maybe haven't caught up on the Emmaus Road podcast. What has happened in the story so far? Turn to the person next to you, Nehemiah 1, Nehemiah 2. What can you remember from the story so far? Okay, perfect, perfect. So maybe someone who's quite close to me, shout out Nehemiah 1. Pete talked on it two weeks ago. And you remember the, the headlines of Nehemiah chapter 1? Prayer and fasting. Yeah, absolutely. So Nehemiah finds out, he has a report that the city that he loves, he's in a position of influence and comfort in another king's household, but he finds out the city of Jerusalem, the walls are destroyed, and he prays and he fasts. Okay, so Nehemiah 1. Then last week, Nehemiah 2, what happens in the story then? Can anyone remember? Plan, absolutely. So he travels to Jerusalem. He asks the king for resources and he travels to Jerusalem and he inspects the walls himself. Two stunning parts of the Bible. Do catch Jill's amazing word on Nehemiah 2 from last week. But then we find ourselves in Nehemiah 3. 
Nehemiah 3. And actually, I helped Pete plan this series. And I remember working through it and thinking, I feel sorry for whoever gets Nehemiah 3. And then, guess who gets it? Because Nehemiah 3 kind of reads a little bit like a cross between a genealogy and an ordnance survey map with no pictures. Okay? It's difficult with just lots of complicated names. And so I did a bit of research. And I said, okay, how am I going to find something that would actually feed people with this? And I stumbled upon a book, probably the best-selling book on Nehemiah from the last 30 years, from pastor and best-selling author Chuck Swindle. 30 books, 30 best-selling books, and he has his book on Nehemiah, Hand Me Another Brick, Timeless Lessons on Leadership from Nehemiah. So I thought, perfect. So I open it, chapter one, full of good stuff. Chapter two, reading through that, thinking, amazing. I turn over, chapter four. (laughs) Chapter two, chapter four. He entirely misses out chapter three, okay? And so I thought, right. So I spent some time in prayer and fasting. And actually, I think that we've got some gold to be mined in chapter three. So if anyone knows Chuck Swindle and he's planning a revised version, you may want to send him this talk. And I only expect 10% of the profits. Okay. So here we go. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. We thank you for your word in all of its different parts, Jesus. And we pray today that you would open our eyes, that we would see you in its text. Our ears, that we would hear you in its words. And our eyes, God, that we would see you and be transformed into your likeness. In the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. And so in chapter 3, we find that the building of the wall starts. And what I want to title this sermon, we don't often do that, but for this one, I want to title it, The Strategy is Simple. The Strategy is Simple. And there might be a slide there. The Strategy is Simple. And actually, the interesting thing is you read through Nehemiah 3, and we're going to read a section of it in a moment. And the reason I think that Chuck Swindle probably missed it out entirely is that Nehemiah isn't mentioned once. He's not even referred to in this story. And so Chuck Swindle obviously just skipped over it. But actually, I think that that is one of the most profound things to be found in Nehemiah chapter 3. Up to this point in the story, what we've had is kind of God's superheroes, these amazing mighty men of God, people like Abraham and Joseph and Moses and David, standing in the gap between God of Israel and the Israelites who just keep on messing up. But suddenly we arrive in Nehemiah chapter 3, and for almost one of the first times in the story, you find the people of God uniting and doing a mighty work for the purposes of God. It's stunning. We find all sorts of different people, which we're going to look at in a second. But if you have your Bible there, would you turn? I'm just going to read a few sections, jump around Nehemiah 3 to give you a feeling, if you haven't read it recently, what this chapter is all about. Now, there is a lot of complicated words in here. And so please forgive me if I savage them all. But, you know, there's a lot of grace, Pete said. God's grace is greater than my inability to read Hebrew names. So, chapter 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, 
the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananiel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hataniah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Mermoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakoz, repaired. And next to him, Mushalem, the son of Berichiah, son of Meshedabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Barna, repaired. And next to them, the Tekiites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Jumping down to verse 8. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Harariah, goldsmiths, repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rapia, the son of Hur, ruler of half of the district of Jerusalem, repaired. And it goes on and on. And just quickly jumping down to verse 22. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his house. And it goes on and on. But one thing that is beautiful if you look at this story is that you find all sorts of people pulling up their sleeves and doing the work. We have clergy and laity, professional Christians and non-professional Christians. We have rulers and nobles and servants all doing the work. We have bricklayers and perfumers and merchants all doing their part. No one is disqualified from God's plan and God's purposes. Everyone finds their part. It's interesting, if you read the Old Testament, there's this thing in theology where it talks about how we see echoes in the Old Testament that get more realized in the New Testament. Such as, you know, Nehemiah himself. We find this person, as Pete told us, who leaves his place of comfort and authority. He travels to a dangerous place and makes a sacrifice to help rebuild the people of God. Do you hear the echoes of Jesus? who leaves the ultimate place of authority and comfort. He travels and makes the ultimate sacrifice and forever rebuilds the people of God. And just like that, what we find here is this echo of the people of God, regardless of their status or influence or money or job role or age, anything, all coming together to fulfill that what was greater than one of them could do. And we see echoes of the thing that's going to be realized that as we see God's kingdom coming to every corner of earth, it's going to require everyone in God's kingdom to come, stand together and help rebuild the wall, help do their part, pull up their sleeves. Doesn't matter if they're nobles or servants or clergy or laity or perfumers or merchants, they all find their place coming together for the purposes and plans of God. It's this stunning part in the story of Nehemiah. But actually, as you read it, and you might have noticed it, there was only one group of people that weren't willing to roll up their sleeves. In verse 5, it says this, And next to them the Techiites repaired, 
but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. And I was reading this, the language really struck me. It's interesting that it doesn't say they would not stoop to serve Nehemiah. It doesn't even say they would not stoop to serve the Lord, like he was some sort of distant divinity. It says that they would not stoop to serve their Lord. Like this is their God, the person they worship and follow. But he's asking them to do something that they believe is below their station. And they're the only people that don't find their place in this great adventure and story that God is doing. And there is certainly a challenge to each of one of us in there. I wonder where we, in our hearts, have promoted our own place of importance above our posture of obedience. Where we promoted our own place of importance above our posture of obedience. And this happens so easily, right? As we grow older, we naturally get more influence at work. Different things happen and suddenly we realize that we begin to pander to a little bit of arrogance that easily grows into our hearts. There's an expression that's used in business quite a lot and it's that culture swerves to rot. Right, and so the idea is that culture won't just carry on being good unless you actively put steps in place. Naturally, it swerves. So you have to put things, be intentional with constantly making sure you're staying on the, the straight and narrow. And I think the same is true for us. It's so easy for us if we're not careful to just day by day, we realize that this sort of sense of our own self-importance has grown. And actually to deal with that, we don't just have to pay attention to it. We have to actively seek out places to go lower. When's the last time you offered to do the tea and coffee round at work for the whole team, even if you're the leader of the team? In the evening, we put the chairs out. And I'm like, I wonder if the person who's being the most godly is the person not with the microphone or the person leading worship, but the person who stays behind late puts all the chairs away person who collects up all of the term guys that get left in this venue. Because that's the king that we follow, right? Philippians 2. This is about Jesus, one of the oldest parts of the New Testament, probably a song or a hymn that was used at the time. And it said, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. This kind of came up close and personal with me while I was at Wildfires a little bit. Like Pete said, I was on part of the team that was helping to make it happen. And then I found myself running around site trying to find water for the speaker, right? And no plastic on site is great for the environment. It is difficult for me trying to find a bottle of water for the person who's needing a drink on stage, right? And I realized, and I got to this moment where I'm sweaty, I'm running around, I'm a little bit frazzled, and I'm like, God, I'm above this. And then you know when Jesus just looks you in the eye and goes, hmm? <laughs> you, you know that look? Like, you know, you say anything, and you're like, oh man, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You're not above this, because you follow me, 
and I made myself nothing, becoming the form of a servant. And so how are we actively seeking out places? So from then on, I was like, do you need water? Do you need water? There was so much hydration happening in the big top. It was amazing. But, you know, we started with Nehemiah from two weeks ago. And Nehemiah, this great leader in this place of authority and influence, the very first thing he does is prayer and fasting. Do you hear the deep humility in that? This great strategist, this great builder, this great leader. But he realizes that he's not going to be able to accomplish it in his own strength. And so in a moment of humility, in a posture of humility, he gets down on his knees and he prays and he fasts that God might use him to do something amazing. For weeks in the build-up to wildfires, people across the country, in a posture of humility, were praying and fasting that God would do something far greater than we could have imagined. And maybe that's the reason, because it says that God exalts the humble but opposes the proud. So step one in this simple strategy is that we step up. Regardless of who we are, what corner of society we find ourselves in, what job or role or social status, we step up and we pull up our sleeves. And point two, we step together. It's interesting, if you read through Nehemiah 3, the most common phrase you find is this, next to him or next to them. It occurs 21 times in chapter 3. It's this interesting thing. The author is painting this picture of a person building, and then right next to him, another person building. Right next to him, another person building. And this huge wall is built by lots of individual people building next to each other. Again, it was one of the profound things about wildfires. Different churches and tribes and streams and denominations coming together to contend and build together. Because God never wants you to build in isolation. He wants you to throw yourself head first in community. I get encouraged and spurred on and challenged and inspired when I look to my left and I look to my right and I realize I'm not building by myself. I'm seeing what they're building and I'm opening up my life that they might see what I'm building. I came to this realization a long time ago that my best just isn't good enough. It's not good enough for the church. It's not good enough for Hannah. It's not good enough for Thea. But maybe my best with Pete and Sammy's best is. Maybe my best with Pete and Andrea Burton is enough. Because I've opened my life up that I might learn and get the best from the community that I find myself in. We were never called to build by ourselves in isolation. But we build next to people on our left and on our right. Their faith building up our faith. Their relationship with God, building up our relationship with God. So we step together. And the other interesting thing when you read through Nehemiah is that oftentimes what happens is that people built with their families. It says plenty of times that this person built with his sons or with his daughters. And I want to encourage you that kingdom business starts at home. Right? And I'm aware... I'm speaking this same sermon in Woking, in here, and we'll be doing it in the evening. I know I'll be speaking to plenty of people where family is a painful concept. Right? Maybe their kids or their parents aren't walking with the Lord at the moment, or their marriage is in a difficult time, or they 
or just praying for a spouse. And I want to encourage you, this matters even more to God than it matters to you. So keep believing, keep praying. But if you are here and you do find yourself married and with a family, I want to encourage you that your spouse and your kids are your primary partners in your building of the wall, in your building of the kingdom. My parents were actually in Woking. They happened to be down because it was Jackson, my little nephew's birthday yesterday. So we had this football pie. And I'm speaking this message and I'm looking them in the eye. And I realized that I got the privilege of growing up And my parents didn't just see my walk with God kind of tokenistically. They really believed that I knew the living God. They really believed that my prayers had power. They really involved me in what they were doing and what they were trying to build. And so I grew up believing I had an important relationship with God. And it's defined me in lots of ways. I love the story of Pete and Sammy, including their boys in their move to Guildford. Yes, you don't just take it when one of them has a word that you definitely move here. You make sure that you know you use common sense and you look for other things, but you involve them. And they ended up here. Their son really did hear from the Lord. And also they got Noodle, which is almost as good as them being here in Guildford. <laughs> so include your family in your kingdom business. You know, we throw around the stats that we live in a county, sorry, with one of the worst divorce and broken family rates in the country and you know we are our most prophetic not just when we stay together but when as families we build together that's when we speak something different that's when we tell a different story kingdom business starts at home so step one of this simple strategy we step up step two as communities and families we step together and my final point step three is that we step out. And so I think that this is possibly the most difficult of the three. We live in a time where culture, Hollywood, everything is telling you you have a dream and pursue your dream, right? And that's coming to the church. And that's not all bad. I think that's good in lots of ways. I love it when people have a dream and they feel like God is calling them to do something. But have you noticed how everyone has such restless eyes? We're constantly looking over the thing in front of us towards the horizon. But the truth is you don't follow Jesus in the past or the future. You follow Jesus here in the present. Most of the people in the story, if you read it, it says they built the wall opposite their house. Or to paraphrase, I imagine Nehemiah coming round. And he walks round and this person is like, what should I do? And he says, walk out of your front door. You see the broken wall, build that. You see where that is broken in front of your house? Build there. What we do is we spend so much time being looking over the horizon. What wall might we build in the future? Or looking left and right and being like, ah, their wall looks more important. Their wall looks more significant or more strategic. Or they're a better builder. So I ignore the thing that's in front of me. But God has placed you in your workplace. He's placed you in your neighborhood. He's placed you in between your two neighbors. He's placed you in your school ground. So don't sacrifice the definitely on the maybe. Maybe one day you will be in Hollywood or you will write a best-selling book or you will earn lots of money for the kingdom or whatever your dream is. But definitely right now, Jesus has said, preach the gospel, love your neighbor, make disciples, keep your eyes open to what I'm doing here in the moment. As Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever you find your hand to do, do it with all of your heart.
But in a moment, we're going to pray. We believe that something by faith significant happened on the Tuesday night in wildfires. We believe that there was an impartation. Something of fire, a man whose life is saturated in prayer and fasting. We had the privilege of him to pray for us. So how do we respond to that? How do we respond to the impartation that we've received? We build the wall in front of our house. We keep our eyes open to what God is doing in the schoolyard or the university or the canteen at work or with our neighbors. We build the wall in front of our house. I want to read you a testimony that actually got sent to me last night, which I feel really sums up everything that I've been talking about. And it was um, something that happened on Saturday, and Jazz Crown, who many of you will know, sent it to me. And I feel like it pulls together all of the different threads of what I'm looking at. And it's this. Yesterday, I met a 20-year-old guy at Farncombe train station. He had overdosed and was in a bad way, so I called an ambulance for him. His name was Kane. In short, as we waited, he sobered up, and it turned out that he had started to explore the idea of Christianity on YouTube, and so we talked about Jesus for an hour. And I remember thinking, wouldn't it be great if someone from the Emmaus community, maybe like the Robinsons, because they live close, turned up right now? And I look up, to see, just coming around the corner of the station, Joel and Glenda and Grace Robinson walking towards me. We get on the train together, and Glenda prays, while Cain's eyes fill with tears, and he gives his life to Jesus. But do you know what's stunning? Grace, their little five-year-old daughter, Grace Robinson, had had a word at wildfires, that as a family, they would find a man in need of help, whose name was Cain. (laughs) Stunning, right? If we can get the last slide up. This story is, we step out. We believe that we have something to give. We step up, everyone gets to play their part, and we step together as families and communities because the thing that we carry the world needs Right, The person and the presence of Jesus. So we go wherever we go in our day with our eyes open to introduce people, to love our neighbor, to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and to make disciples. Would you pray with me? And then I'm going to ask Pete to come back up. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we get to play a part in the most important thing in the universe, the building of your kingdom. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray for the confidence, Lord Jesus, that we might live in this moment with our eyes open to what you would have us do. Lord, entrusting our future to you, knowing that you are faithful and good. Lord Jesus, that you lead us forward, but you call us to preach the gospel now, to pray for the sick now to step out in faith now. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that as a community we would take this impartation seriously. Lord, would we hear hundreds of stories of your fire falling, your impartation coming to workplaces and playgrounds and supermarkets in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.